Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards, where we like to look at life, faith, and theology from a different angle. Today, our guest is Jason Wallace, and he is pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. And if you've listened to many of the past episodes, you know Mormonism is something that we've dealt with quite a bit. We've had quite a few Mormons on the show and discussions about our differences of faith. A lot of the material that I have learned over the years uh, have come from Jason Wallace, and he's had a call-in show he had for seven years, uh, which was called Ancient Paths uh, TV. Is that correct, Jason? Yeah, he had... Yeah, he had a, a call-in TV show where he would answer questions about all sorts of different aspects of faith. But being in Salt Lake City, uh, Mormonism has typically been your specialty. It's one of the things that you deal with on a regular basis. But he just released a new documentary that is called An Earnest Plea to Charismatics. And I it popped up in my YouTube feed like 10 minutes after it was released, and I just devoured the whole thing. It was phenomenal. So I'll put a link to that in this podcast. I encourage you to go watch it, but he does a really good job of breaking down the history of the charismatic movement. And in the same way where if you take Mormonism and you begin to uh, look back at the history and the foundation of it, it's really easy to know whether something is true or not. So uh, Pastor Wallace, thank you for joining us today. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. Now he's been traveling uh, a whole lot today, and he just got home. So uh, if there is a pause that you need to take to think through, I, I know he says he is uh, mentally and physically tired today. So we really appreciate and value your time. Now tell us what made you want to make a documentary when most of your stuff is dealing with Mormonism, and you have some stuff on Roman Catholicism. What made you want to do this plea to Charismatics? Um, basically, I mean, we've started with Mormonism. Charismaticism comes right out of the same seedbed. Mormonism, uh, the Mormons were speaking in tongues. Uh, they were claiming miraculous healings. They were uh, claiming ecstatic visions, all these things, uh, 75 years prior to Azusa Street. And so the Mormons, um, they, they both come out of a, a Wesleyan mindset. And so we, we draw a lot of parallels in the video because there's a lot of reluctance on people's parts to question the, the, the Pentecostal charismatic movement because they're afraid of uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And we try to make clear, but the same standard that requires us to evaluate Joseph Smith's claims to being a prophet uh, demands that we do the same with modern charismatic and Pentecostal prophets and apostles. And so it was somewhat of a natural segue. Personally, I, I have a lot of connections there. I, I grew up in Georgia, uh, Southern Baptist uh, background, a little bit in there, um, but largely grew up outside of any church uh, until I was 14. But I had a Pentecostal grandmother who prayed for me every day of my life until she died. And um, a lot of family that are Pentecostal, charismatic, uh, folks. And I've seen the good, I've seen the bad. And um, there's a lot of criticism out there. There's a lot of, you know, uh, mocking of Bethel and its glory cloud and things like this. We tried to basically have 
a respectful um, dialogue with them in terms of here are the issues we have. And the, the plea is to come uh, and test things from God's word. Be good Bereans. And we've, we've seen good results. Uh, we, we've made, I think it's eight videos for Mormons. Uh, we've seen it, we've made uh, the main one being an earnest plea to uh, Latter-day Saints. The um, video to Roman Catholics and earnest plea to, to Roman Catholics, uh, we've actually had a um, priest who has in um, Texas that's been watching our stuff and seems very moved by it. He's actually flown here a few times to meet. There's a lot of stuff meant to inform the church. There's not a lot of stuff that tries to engage people where they are and really engage what they believe and hold it up to the light of God's word in a, in a pointed, but hopefully loving manner. It's, and that's what you do very well. And I really respect the, the whole tone of these little kind of, I guess I call them a documentary is very respectful. And it's just, well, here's just the facts. This is where this started. These are the people who are involved starting it. And when you begin to look and analyze their life, you, you have to ask the question, are these really the kind of people you want to follow? And what I see, uh, a lot of that stuff that is exploded in the U.S., we would say comes from Oklahoma. Um, the word of faith. Oklahoma plays a big part in the spreading of that because we have Oral Roberts University and Victory Church, and there's Rama Bible Church, and all of these things. They're huge. They're massive. They draw giant crowds. Everybody around here knows that you go to Rama for the Christmas lights during Christmas, and people associate Christmas and Christianity almost in Tulsa with Rama, but they never stop to go. What's going on behind the doors? It's not just that maybe they. So I'm sure you've had these conversations as well. There are people probably more like you and me who think intellectually. And then there are Christians who are all heart and little mind. And I tend to be mostly mind, little heart. I'm not the most sensitive person. Um, and I find Christians that are very sensitive can fall in easily to the trap of the emotions that the charismatic movement can carry on. Now, before we get too far, maybe define a little bit what you mean by charismatic and Pentecostal. What does that look like to you? Essentially that there are modern day apostles and prophets. Uh, I mean, those are the easiest ones to, to define. Uh, the, the Pentecostal movement uh, to a great extent really starts with Dowie. Dowie is the first one who really pushes a restorationist message that uh, in something along the lines of what we see carry on to today. You know, there, there were other restorationists before him, uh, obviously Mormonism, uh, the Shakers and uh, people like this, but Dowie's the one that you go from Dowie to Parham from Parham to Seymour, Seymour to, to everything, the, the Assemblies of God, uh, the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, and a whole host of others, uh, Church of God in Christ. So you start with him. The There have been restorationists um, before 
all through the history of the church, and we deal with this. But Dowie is the first one that is in the line of the guys that they will defend. Um, okay. As, as, uh, we've got Michael Brown uh, basically talking how he was mightily used by God. Yeah, and I'm familiar. I'm pretty familiar with Michael Brown. Um, the the danger and the only reason like we would even try to engage, it's not. So I believe there are people who are under the leadership, like people who go to victory or Rama, that are real sincere Christians that might be misled. I mean, with any church, there's people who go deeper in than others. But I think those who are usually at the top, I would strongly question whether they are believers or not with some of the things they teach. Plus, for me, I just think there's just a real danger in some of the things they believe. And we saw that with who you start off with talking about is Nabil Qureshi. And I, I loved Nabil Qureshi, and I had no idea that he was at Bethel Church with Bill Johnson. And for those who are listening who don't know who Nabil is, he was a former Muslim who gets saved, and he wrote an incredible book that's very helpful in engaging uh, those of the Muslim faith, but he developed cancer. And he fully believed that his understanding of the Bible was the Bible guarantees healing. So was he a member at Bethel Church under Bill Johnson? I don't think he was ever part of it. I think he just went there. They prayed over him. Um, but as far as I know, he, he lived in Houston. And so uh, he never relocated to, to Reading uh, other than just for a visit. Now, Bethel was on the new. There was a huge event and that you describe in the documentary about one of their, I think it was one of their worship leaders, lost their daughter at the age of two. Her name was Olive. And they basically for days were praying that this girl would be resurrected. And they fully, like their theology says, they should be able to do that 100%. Like it's not a question is, hey, maybe we'll pray and maybe this will happen. But do they think that that kind of stuff is guaranteed? Yes. Uh, it, and of course it doesn't happen, but they always have some excuse for it. It's a lack of faith. It's um, somewhere, you know, so, someone has failed somehow. And, but the expectation is that if Jesus healed everyone who came to him, then they should as well. And they don't ever stop to think, maybe it's because you're not real apostles. Right. Maybe it's because the, the apostles and their gifts were unique uh, for a set time and that they have passed away just like the early church said they did. Now, uh, Bethel Pastor Bill Johnson, he said, I refuse to create a theology that allows for sickness. He goes so far to call that a different gospel. And so in his yeah. church, if you get sick and if you're dying of cancer, here's where the real danger, and this is why I think it's important for Christians to deal with this head on. It's your fault. If, if somebody is dying of cancer because for them, God guarantees you don't have enough faith and it takes somebody who's already struggling with this and puts the blame on them for their sickness. Yes, most definitely. I've seen people destroyed by this because they're, they're haunted. Was it my lack of faith uh, that prevented my wife from being healed of her cancer? Mm -hmm. They said she was healed, but she, 
she died of it anyway. You know, I, I, I had some measure of doubt whether she'd been healed. Is that why God didn't heal her? Yeah. And if you take it seriously, it'll destroy you. Yeah, that I, I can't imagine how this family um, is going to respond long term as to why this didn't work. And it strikes me that nobody notices that Bill Johnson, I mean, it's a mega church that he has, and it's highly, highly influential, says that sickness is not allowed in his theology, but he wears glasses to read. Like he oh, yeah. needs glasses to see, but <laughs> believes that healing is always guaranteed. I'm like, then why do you need glasses? That how come people like no one ever just calls him on this? There, there are people who do, but some of them sadly hold it up as a as a, as a something to mock, um, and then that allows uh, Johnson and Bethel to demonize them, mm -hmm. uh, which they're going to do anyway. Uh, so I mean, it, it's but they play into the hands of these folks by not responding to them carefully and lovingly. And, you know, yes, there's a time to call these people out uh, because they are false prophets, mm -hmm. but the people who are following them, they, they're so buried in it that, and, and there are sincere believers in this stuff. Um, you know, there, there are people who want to brought, paint with a very broad brush. Um, I, I'm a Calvinist. I, I know we're all messed up. And, you know, apart from the grace of God, we'd be eating each other. So um, I, I, I recognize sanctification is slow and painful and that Christians can fall into grievous errors. But there are people who want to write off anyone who is misled. And, you know, when your child is dying and someone comes along and says, um, Jesus healed everyone. And, you know, we, we believe Jesus still heals today. It sounds so good. And they suck them in. We try to deal with them. Um, we're, we're trying to deal with the run-of-the-mill charismatic Pentecostal. But they do get called out but generally in ways that allow them to play the victim. And, the, and honestly, when you get into that kind of cultic mindset, that just feeds it. Yeah. Because what, one of the things you do with, with a cult is you polarize people. Mm -hmm. You demonize any of the critics in dealing with Mormonism. People love to talk about the Mormon bashers, the anti-Mormons. And there are, street preachers who come to town who scream insults at people and they call it preaching. Uh, there's a time for hard pointed preaching, but it's not pointing. It's not preaching when you're, when you're accusing strangers of very, very specific sexual sins yeah. that you have no clue about. You're just ranting at them. And the Mormons bask in that. Yeah. It's like we're being persecuted just like our forefathers. And you see the same dynamic with a lot of the criticism against charismaticism, unfortunately. Now, do you believe that it is fully possible for God to actually heal people? Most definitely. I mean, God is sovereign. And we pray for people regularly, and we've seen prayers answered. 
not because I have some special anointing, not because I'm an apostle or prophet. It's in spite of me. Um, we pray. And sometimes the Lord answers those prayers in stunning ways. Uh, we, we prayed for a local man. He was in stage four bladder cancer. It had spread to his lungs. Doctors told him it was incurable and untreatable. Uh, he had, they gave him weeks to live. He took his wife to Hawaii. A number of the churches here, we prayed uh, earnestly for him. He began to feel oddly, uh, went back, uh, came back to Utah, went to his doctor. He'd gone into spontaneous remission. Wow. Um, is that an apostolic healing? No, it's not. The signs of the apostles were to testify to their authority. And yes, they were able to convey the gifts of the Holy Spirit to others, but it passed away with them. Um, one, of the, one of the polarizations that they try to make is um, to say that people who disagree with them on continuing apostles and prophets mm -hmm. say that Jesus doesn't heal anymore. We don't see, I don't, um, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, not just at some future date, but presently. Um, I, I believe that the, the God, apart from whose will not a sparrow falls, is sovereign over everything. But is our expectation heaven here and now? Is our ex expectation health and wealth and uh, peace and prosperity and popularity? No. Um, that's a very carnal expectation. Yeah. There's a, a new apostolic Reformation church a mile away from mine, and it is packed on Sundays and Sunday nights and Wednesdays. They are there all the time, and I've watched a, a bunch of their sermons, and they were one that I will publicly call out because they have these damaging kind of teachings where these people are claiming to be apostles and have these specific gifts. Um, but like you were talking about, one of the places this started was a pastor by the name of John Alexander Dowie. And he said to call uh, a doctor, that it was a sin to call a doctor, right? Because yes. Jesus was guaranteed to heal. But then what happened to him? Like when it comes to his own life, did that come true or... I think he lost his daughter. Almost oh, definitely. Yeah. He, I mean, lots of people lost their children through following his advice. Um, and, you know, medicine is not uh, a sure thing by any stretch and there's bad medicine out there. Uh, but he, he said any, any appeal to medicine was sorcery. Um, it, it was witchcraft, basically. It was trust, trusting in someone other than God. Well, his daughter was curling her hair uh, with an alcohol burner, and it spilled on her, and she received severe burns. Uh, having alcohol within the, the limits of, of Zion, Illinois, which is the town he founded, uh, was considered sinful, even if it was being used for... Um, light or uh, in her case he, a curling iron but uh, she received severe burns 
he had been telling people for decades it was wrong to, to call a doctor. Well, guess what? He called a doctor for his daughter. Um, but she died. Yeah. Charles, Charles Parham, the, the official father of Pentecostalism, um, he, he mocked David in the death of his son, saying that a, um, uh, I forget the language he used, but uh, if the Lord, and, and if the Lord wills prayer should never expect to be answered, uh, or it, you know, if it be thy will, Lord. Uh, kind of prayer. Yeah. Well, after he writes the book, his own son gets sick and dies. Yeah. It, it's these people mock and they make promises and it sounds so appealing because they're, they're pointing to, to real spiritual present realities, but they're blurring the lines between that and what we're, ultimately promised and they they say that it's a lack of faith to 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 recognize um the um that these these things are not automatic and dowie he also embezzled 2.5 million from his church and had a stroke and um like so there's just this history of where it started from it's kind of like mormonism where there's all these claims and if you don't go back and examine it then you're just taking it like well look how big it is and look how many people go it's got to be there's a real cultural pull into this stuff and once you're in those circles there's a new language there's all this stuff and there's a reason there's always a justification on why the things that don't work what one of the one of the questions that has been put to me is how could this be so popular if it wasn't real and I say, well, I've got the same question about Mormonism. I've got mm -hmm. the same question about Seventh-day Adventism. I've got the same question about Jehovah's Witnesses. I've got the same question about Roman Catholicism and atheism and Islam. And you go down the list. Popularity is very seldom a, a litmus test for, for truthfulness. Yeah. I mean, the gospel is pretty offensive um, to those on the left or those on the right, those that are charismatic or those that are very conservative, the Bible's going to push and challenge those on all sides. And it's really easy to find a place that just already agrees with what you think and feeds you all the things you want to hear. And that's why we're warned to be careful of those who itch the ears, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, my, my next question, because this is one I had not ever heard of before. And uh, it, it's about uh, Agnes Austin. And she, Osmond. Osmond, yeah, she was the first person to speak in tongues. And I never knew when that started. Now, I've walked around downtown Tulsa, and people from some of these churches that I've named have come and asked me, hey, have you received the second baptism? And now I knew what they were talking about. My, my friends I were with did not. And I said, no, I'm baptized once and for all right? There's, I don't get part of the Holy Spirit and another part of the Holy Spirit later on. I, there's one baptism. And they said, no, you need a second baptism of fire. I'm like, that sounds like judgment. You're asking me to go to hell. And they, uh, they said, uh, no, it's the, the language of tongues. And they begin to put their hand on my stomach and they say, they want to pray for me. I'm like, okay, let's, let's see what happens. Right. And they, they start a normal prayer and then it turns into Shama Lama Ding Dong, Shama Shama Jumu, 
And then they pause and they say, do you feel that burning in your bosom? Like, do you feel the burning in your stomach? And as somebody who knows Mormonism, I'm like, I see the connections. Do you feel yeah. this? Do you? And I said, I don't, I don't feel a thing and you're wrong. Now there, there are a lot of people in conservative Baptist churches who will not, they don't believe in speaking in tongues in the way charismatics do, but they still like, yeah, sometimes in my private prayer closet, I'll utter things that I don't understand. We, what you're saying is in 1901, there was a lady who began to speak, and that was the first time since Pentecost that this would become a part of a church movement. Is that correct? That is the old history. That's the history that you would have heard and still will hear in a lot of Pentecostal circles. It, it brings all kinds of baggage. And so one of the things we deal with in the video is you've got people like Michael Brown. Um, Dr. Brown is very bright man. He, I think, recognizes that if you tie it back to, to Topeka in 1901, it's doomed. And so in his book, Authentic Fire, which is a, a response to uh, John MacArthur's Strange Fire Conference, he um, says, well, it really didn't start there. It's, it's kind of been going on through the history of the church. And he points to India in the 1860s. And there's one of the things with charismatic argumentation is there's always something to distract you from the problems that are in front of you. There, there's always someone who's been radically healed in Brazil or India or Africa or somewhere or, you know, maybe it's in the U.S., but it's somewhere else. So you know someone who know, who, who was there. Um, but the reality is we know very little about what took place there, uh, which allows it not to be scrutinized as heavily. And they talk about uh, holiness, you know, being one of the major things out of this. These people have always claimed holiness. The Mormons claim holiness. Yeah. Um, you know, they have a word of wisdom, no, no, no drinking uh, of alcohol, no tobacco, um, no coffee. And, you know, that's their view of holiness. Um, but most of these little, most of these things were clearly associated with people on the outer fringe, people like the Quakers and the Shakers. Um, people like the, um, the new Israelites that preceded the Mormons, they, they were small. Um, they were clearly deluded in times, uh, heavy end time speculations. It's Agnes Osman, who is the first that you would get from like, a being re referenced by a Trinity broadcasting network or, uh, Benny Hinn or someone like that, typically. This is where they, uh, they they would go back to this as the beginning of this new outpouring. And she originally the claim was that she was speaking Chinese and she right. even wrote down, she wrote it all like, cause she couldn't talk for three days in English, she could only speak Chinese. So she was writing Chinese, but if you look at it, no one's ever been able to understand the, the chicken scratch, right? That's what it looks like. It looks like chicken yes. scratch that nobody... Yeah, 
can understand what it actually is. And then is that where the defensive movement comes in and go, oh, actually it's a heavenly language. She's speaking. That's why you need an interpreter because the first claim is this is Chinese and it's just like an ax. And then when that's not true, oh, actually it's this unknowable language. It's the tongue of angels. And there's always this like pivot and movement away from actually to say, well, maybe she lied. Maybe she lied. Yeah. And every impression I got is the woman was just deluded. Uh, and the funny thing is that we, there was so much we wanted to get into this video and I knew that if it was, if it was two hours or longer, no one would watch or, or, or not, very few people will watch. They'll, they'll, they'll watch a three hour Marvel movie, but they won't watch anything that's two hours or longer. So you need more special effects. You need explosions halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. I, we brought it in at one fifty nine fifty nine, but but one of the funny things about Agnes Osmond is that she had actually gone to a missionary school and studied Chinese, and she still couldn't write Chinese. Yeah, I mean she she was wanting to train to become. She was a washed out. I mean, I, I hate to sound harsh about it, but she she had gone to a school to study to be a missionary to China. It had not worked out, and that's how she ends up coming to Bethel Bible College, which only exists. I don't think it existed for a whole year. Yeah, um, it started in October, and I think it was closed in the the following spring. So, um, but she wasn't the only one. Uh, Parham was convinced these really were foreign languages. That was the pitch he was making to everybody, and missionaries literally went to India. And started speaking what they thought was Hindi to people. And it wasn't. That's got to be and, embarrassing. Yeah, that's got to be a hard pill to swallow. Well, unfortunately, it's like Mormonism. When, when you've invested everything into a movement and the second coming doesn't happen in 1843, and then it doesn't happen in 1844, this is the Adventist. Uh, we've, we've got an earnest plea to Seventh-day Adventist out there, too, as well. But um, anyway, when, when that doesn't happen, the expectation for outsiders is, well, people are going to wise up. People are going to leave the movement. Most people don't. Yeah. Most people will follow that movement to the bitter end. And, you know, I think there's actually one shaker left. Um despite the fact that they've been celibate for a couple hundred years, <laughs> you know, there, there are, uh, and all the promises of the second coming failed. Yeah. Um, just like there's, there's millions of Jehovah's witnesses. And I mean, their list of failed prophecies, I, I can't even keep up with them all, but these missionaries, they go out there. They've been told that they've, you know, they've, they've, experienced something they've experienced a feeling uh a an, an ecstasy hmm. and they've spoken in what they were convinced came from the holy spirit and it's not what it's not a foreign language what do you do you reinterpret yeah and so you know it becomes a heavenly language it becomes private prayer language it becomes something and of course they don't ever pin it down. I've heard um, someone who was defending or someone who was interviewing rather um, Dr. Michael Brown. 
he he was very articulate, uh, seemed to be well-educated young man. And he was talking about how impressed he was that he just started speaking in tongues and someone told him he was speaking uh, in Farsi or something like that. Well, he didn't speak Farsi. He didn't know. There were people who were telling Agnes Osmond, this is Chinese. And she believed them. Yeah. I mean, if she was at a training school, she heard some Chinese. So she might have like just the the sound. I mean, I mean, I think all of us could make sounds that sounded like it could be Chinese, but we don't know Chinese. But if people are telling you and, and you're wanting to believe, then it's easy to see how you fall into that. And it's interesting that you've a lot of these different and it's OK to call them cults. It's not a derogatory term. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's. It doesn't have to be said in a derogatory way. It's a defining way to call something. Um, the end time, the fear of the end times, Jesus is about to come back unless you do this. And that was a lot of the early Pentecostal movement. Unless you speak in tongues, you're not really saved. And yes. there, there's a lot that still say that. Unless you do this, you don't really have Jesus. And to me, that's no different than saying, unless you're circumcised, you're not really a Christian which the New Testament is very clear that those people are anathema, which means it's like the harshest curse that could be put on somebody because you're adding something to the gospel. So do you think fear plays a big role in getting people on board with this kind of stuff? Oh, most definitely. I, I think I think they uh, – I hope I'm not stomping on too many toes here. No. But, um you, you've seen you've seen the old movie from from 1972, A Thief in the Night. I um, don't think you, so. You, seen, you haven't seen it. Um, no, and I'm a pretty big movie buff, but I don't rem, I don't remember that one. You, you've got to you've got to see it. Okay. It's it, it's it will help you understand modern church history. Um, there are a whole bunch of us who used to uh, be shown that on New Year's Eve um, in in Baptist churches. But uh, one of the things they do is they they basically uh, have a scene where they're flipping back and forth between a very liberal Protestant pastor who's talking about God is love. And you love your children, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to send your children to hell. What makes you think a loving God would send his children to hell? And then on the other side, you've got um, a, a fellow um preaching the the imminent rapture of the church and these are your two options yeah uh in 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 what they do uh they basically paint anyone who disagrees with them as dead and judgment is coming you know the 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 old uh the the Johnny Cash song that was popular right after he died, uh, God's, God's going to cut you down. Uh -huh. That's an old Pentecostal song. Yeah. Mm. Um, judgment. Uh, and to some extent, judgment was lacking in some of the uh, areas. I mean, there is a lot of liberal Protestantism out there that's just in, in liberal evangelicalism these days. That is, you know, there is no judgment. There is, there is no, you know, um, and these people are saying there's a judgment coming. Um, 
And when you blur that with health and wealth on top of it, it it's, you know, it's, it's, it gives you everything, but fear does motivate a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I have some friends who aren't Christians, but they'll say, you know, I don't really go to church. I don't really think I believe in that God stuff, but I'll watch Joel Olstein uh, on a Sunday morning because I, I really like him. And that should tell us something that when people who don't like the gospel or Jesus like Joel Olstein, because, you know, I like what he has to say because it's all feel good stuff. So there's either the God's going to give you everything you want right now. And the people ask, what do you think about that book? You know, when it came out, your best life now It's like, if it's your best life now, it means you go to hell later because the best is yet to come. And yep. you have that on one hand. And then the charismatic movement is also, it feeds the same thing, but maybe not in a material sense all the time. It's almost, for me, it's like, God's going to give you superpowers. Like when you're a kid, you want to fly, you want to have super strength. And the Pentecostal, when you grow up, you're going to be able to read people's thoughts and you're going to be able to speak languages you didn't know. And you're going to be able to heal. Like it's, it's an appeal to you're special. Yes. You've got special powers and you're better than the other people who don't have this because you've gotten a second baptism. And of course, if you're in that environment, you're going to strive to get that because you want to feel you want the, you know, the desire to fit in is, is really, really strong. Um, Power is one of the things that runs through so much of church history. Um, you you look at the um, the the liberal uh, churches, the liberal mainline churches. You look at um, so much of what has led to the seduction of the black church. You look at so many other things. It's power, um, and everything's in terms of power. And, um, you know, the, the, so much of the, the whole CRT stuff now is it, it's interpreting everything in, in, in terms of power. And we're called to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Christ. And we're to esteem others better than ourselves. Uh, we're to have that mind of Christ in us that doesn't sell to the unconverted. Yeah. Uh, power does. And if we can baptize that quest for power, if one, one of the things that characterizes you, you touched on some of it, but is a theme in charismaticism and Mormonism and a whole lot of other, of the restorationist um, religions, you, you basically get to feel superior in your ignorance mm. and pious for what you hate. Yeah. You look at so many of these people, uh, Joseph Smith demonized pastors. You know, they're a bunch of ivory tower intellectuals. Um, you know, would you, I mean, and to some extent it goes back to, to the old, some of the old Methodist, you know, would you rather have uh, somebody who's read a bunch of books or would you rather have somebody who's filled with the Holy spirit? Right. And it's that power. And we have power. Uh, our power is in God's word and his spirit. And it's not to puff people up. It's not to um, make them into supermen. It's to, to take out hearts of stone, to make them uh, the dead, uh, the spiritually dead alive in Christ, put Holy Spirit in them, to make them love God and to walk in his ways and 
Uh, you know, the unconverted, they don't want God. Uh, James White phrases it well. What expectation do we have if if the gates of heaven, uh, if, if the gates of hell were opened up? What expectation do we legitimately have that people would want to go into the presence of God? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think the presence of God is part of the torment for them. Um, but what they do is, is they, they empty Christianity of the cross. They empty it of uh, the cross for Christ and the cross for us. And they, they, they may wrap it in Christian clothing, but it's just paganism. There's a, there's a video I watched many years ago about the Kundalini tribe and the Kundalini curse. Um, but the things that you'll find at a lot of Pentecostal churches, the flopping around on the floor, uh, the barking like dogs, the drunkenness, all those things are found in pagan cultures. It is not, you, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about remembering the first time they were slain in the spirit and they fell down. And I said, just give me a chapter and a verse on that. Where is this coming from? Because it's not coming from a God who loves order. Now it's like, so, so my church and the churches that I grew up in could use a little bit more of the Holy Spirit, right? Like we could be a little bit more reliant on it we could be more trusting and stepping out in faith. Um, we're really well anchored in the Bible. You know, the whole idea of Bible thumpers. Uh, mm -hmm. That used to be a good thing. It's because you knew your Bible. But now we have conservatives who don't even know their Bible. So now they're just, they don't have the knowledge or the spirit. And I think a, a good attempt could be made to bring those who, they lean emotionally towards a more charismatic faith. Um, they need to be solidly grounded by those who love scripture and those who love scripture need to be encouraged to live out a more, I don't even like to use the word spirit filled, but they need to live out a little bit more in a trusting manner to leave their job and go plant a church where they feel like God is calling them. Um, well, one of, one of the, one of the things that, you know, you, we tried to squeeze a whole bunch into those two hours. Um, one of the things that we've got to get away from is a, this false dichotomy between um, that spirit field means anarchy, that it means doing whatever mm -hmm. you feel like doing. Mm -hmm. um, the, 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 people of Israel dancing naked in ecstatic worship around a golden calf wasn't spirit filled. Right. It was idolatry. Um, there is dead orthodoxy um, where people can, can rattle off uh, true biblical words, but they've never made it to their heart, but there's nothing more spirit filled in worship then God's people singing uh, the Psalms, singing the words he's given us. I'm not exclusive psalmody, but, um, you know, that's an antithetical to what an awful lot of people would think yeah. was spirit-filled. 
Now, if we're singing them from our hearts, no, there's nothing. We're singing the hymn book God gave us in the middle of the Bible and praying. You know, uh, there, there, unbelief comes in a host of different flavors. Uh, we, we deal, you know, we're, we're confessional church. We're Orthodox Presbyterians, um, you know, which is a remnant of the old Northern Presbyterian church. And uh, we get people who come in that they're running from God, not through barking like a dog and throwing themselves on the floor and, you know, going into some kind of out of, you know, some kind of altered consciousness. They're running from God in rattling off a catechism. Uh, doesn't mean we don't use the catechism. But unbelief comes in a whole host of different ways. And, and, it, and it's not just a matter of form. Um, people can be just as empty with, you know, what we used to laughingly call the prayer of the just. Uh, Lord, we're just so happy to just be here and just praise your name and just, you know. Yeah. Um, there's no, there's one, of, one of the themes we try to bring out is we're not reinventing the wheel here. We've had 2,000 years of uh, practical outworking of how do we live? How do we worship? And, you know, in our, in our worship, um, we, re we read the Bible, we teach the Bible, we preach the Bible, we pray the Bible, we we're praying back the promises of God. Our prayers are modeled after um, scripture. Um, we sing the Bible. We make the word visible in the sacraments. That's nothing new, but it's living and it's, it's vital. Um, it, it's the, you have to hold together theological orthodoxy and a living piety. And to some extent, the world of flesh and the devil is happy with us doing either empty orthodoxy, uh, where we're just going through the motions, or thinking that we're somehow being more spiritually vital if we're singing with a guitar rather than with a with uh, something else. Um, I don't have it, any good harp players in our church, so we've we've got to go for a guitar. It, and <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm not I'm not racking on guitars. Guitars can be okay, but there there are pre there there are prejudices that people bring from both sides. Mm -hmm. And our plea to people is, take it back to the Word. Take it back to how the church has read the that Word. Learn, you know, they're not tradition is not infallible, right? But good tradition is people who've run the race to its end wrestling with the same scriptures we're wrestling with. And so we can learn from them, even if they're not infallible. Um, and then we test everything, including our traditions from God's word. Yep. I, so, uh, this, this Sunday while I'm preaching, I, I, and I do this regularly just because I'm standing up here holding a microphone and I'm on a stage doesn't mean you can't test me. In fact, I want to, 
them to test. I want them to begin to think critically about their faith, because if God is all truth, then as they search and find truth, they will find God. So they need to test what I'm saying, because it's easy for somebody to manipulate the Bible to say whatever it wants. You can uh, turn to a passage and it says Judas hang himself and you turn a few pages and read now go and do likewise, <laughs> do right? Likewise. Go and, and do what likewise. Do is, then you turn it and what they'll do is do as quickly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can make it say, so we, we need to be good Bereans. And that's one of the goals of this podcast is to bring in opposing views, test them, and then test our own view and see if it's biblical or not. When I encounter people that go to churches that, um, there's a place called Guts Church that is very popular, Victory, where they claim that healing is guaranteed. I say, how often are your leaders in the children's cancer ward at the nearby hospital? Yep. If they say they can heal people, how come the news station isn't out there while they're walking down the cancer ward, healing every single little child of this disease? It's because they can't and they know it but they make a lot of money saying they can. And so as you trace, I'm going to finish with this. As you trace back to history of a lot of this stuff, you'll find there are people saying God will always heal. And then either they suffer a tragedy and they lose a son, a daughter, a wife. And the next person comes along, picks up that, that message and tries it again and tries it again. And you get the same result every time. And people are suffering, literal suffering for people who are blamed for the death of their own child or their own cancer. They're just told they don't have enough faith. That stuff is straight from the devil himself. And Christians, we should not put up with that kind of teaching in the church. And I'll guarantee you, Jason, that stuff is entering into conservative churches. The prosperity message and the health and wealth message, it's all trying to sneak its way in. Caleb, it's even worse than what you just described. It's not just that a Dowie loses his daughter and then someone else picks up the mantle. Dowie never stopped. Parham yeah. never stopped. It didn't matter that, and, and when you peel it all the way back, uh, none of these people ever stop. I mean, uh, I hope I'm not spoiling the, the, the dramatic, uh, dramatic ending, but Charles Wesley, who starts this whole second work of grace, this whole expectation that conversion's not enough. You have to have this second experience to get complete sanctification. Then you can have assurance. He confides to his brother. I'm not, a, I, I've, I've never loved God. Mm. I'm, I'm not a, I've never been a Christian. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, and yet he never stopped. Uh, I, I think Benny, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's got to be the same with people like Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn knows exactly what he's doing. These other faith healers that are strangely popular, and I don't know how that popularity has continued. Because um, I, I feel like any common sense person knows this guy's a fraudster. But there are millions of people, and they broadcast all over the world. And that Pentecostal message goes into these tribes of nowhere, and that's what they pick up. And it's doing great damage. Well, for what it's worth, I know charismatics that I think are converted, they love the Lord, and are misled. Yeah. I'm not God. I'm not God. I can't judge anybody's heart. But I can, yeah. as best I know, 
I think that they are confused. Um, but it was actually through watching some of our videos that a word faith teacher who graduated from Rama, mm. um, he, he discovered a local heretic that um, was very charismatic in his personality and was recycling a lot of old heresies. And he was, was really drawn to him because he's uh, very magnetic. Uh, but then he sees the, uh, I had challenged the guy publicly. He invites me on his show and I basically argued from scripture. You're not a Christian. Yeah. You know, uh, you're proud of the fact you will not listen to any church anywhere. Uh, Matthew 18. I, I have to treat you as a heathen and a tax collector. You're talking about Sean McCraney, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> and I watched that show. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, this guy watched McCraney yeah. and he, he, really liked McCraney and he sees my interaction with him. And he, he listens to the arguments. He's like, Sean's not a Christian. Right. And, oh, uh, he, uh, sorry about that. Anyway, right. he, um, he concludes Sean's really not a Christian. And then, um, gets to thinking about it. He's like, by that standard, really neither am I. And so he ends up, uh, stepping down, renouncing his uh, being a pastor in uh, the word faith movement, denounces Daddy Hagen and you know that whole yeah, um, and um, he he's currently a Reformed Baptist visiting yeah. an OP, yeah. visiting visiting an Orthodox Presbyterian church. Yeah, <laughs> we've so got him. Keep, we're not giving him up. <laughs> I'm telling him just keep being a good Berean brother. Just yeah. keep holding yeah. everything with a lot of God's yeah. work. Yeah. But, um, no, some of these people are, clearly are not converted. Yeah. Um, this guy thought he was, and you know, it's, it's for guys like him. I made the video. He, he loves it. He says, you know, this yeah. is what I needed to hear. And I hope that other people will hear. Are there, we try to avoid, you know, the calling people cares, maniacs and things like that. What, what does that accomplish? Yeah. Um, but one of the things we need to get through to our folks, uh, we need the scriptures alone are infallible. Uh, but so many people, they're looking for God's perfect will for their lives. They, they think that God prescribes everything. You know, what I tell folks is delight yourself in the Lord, delight yourself in his word. And follow your heart's desire. Mm -hmm. Don't look. There's not some perfect will uh, that we're supposed to somehow supernaturally discern to um, to know what we're supposed to do. I mean, if I messed up and married the woman who wasn't God's perfect will for my life, would that ruin the other one? You know, does it set these dominoes off? Yeah, nobody would ever end up with who they were supposed to marry. Yeah. You know, um, I I have uh, children that are looking to be married, and I'm I'm telling them, uh, you have to marry in the Lord. Yeah. And there are things that you should be looking for, but there are no perfect women. There are no perfect men in this world. And... Uh, 
pray hard and look for providential direction and make the best decision you can. Jason, I really appreciate, uh, Pastor Wallace, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate, I know it had to take a lot of time to make this kind of documentary because it's, there's so much information in there. Um, I, I want to encourage people to go watch it. They can go to YouTube and the title of it is an earnest plea to charismatics, or you can find it under the ancient paths TV, YouTube channel. Uh, is there anywhere else that they can find some more of your stuff? Yeah, we're, we're actually hoping to uh, do a website for it. Um, the, our other videos, uh, atheism.video, just, you know, www.atheism.video, lds.video, um, athe let's see, atheism, LDS, romancatholic.video, uh, gaychristian.video, and quran.video, k-o-r-a-n.video, uh, has okay. an earnest plea to Muslims. Okay. Well, well, thank you so much for your time. If you guys enjoyed this, I pray that you share this on social media, like, subscribe, leave a review, all that stuff. But if you really want to support the podcast, uh, this podcast is sponsored by absolutely nobody except for myself. So you're welcome to go to calebmore.tv, purchase my book, The Disappearing Garden, which talks a lot about trying to find our purpose uh, in this life. And I, I echo what he says. There is no am I supposed to do this a B or C you know what act justly love mercy walk humbly with God for this is the whole duty of mankind and my book's all about learning to live in Babylon when you were designed for Eden once again thank you Pastor Wallace and you have a great rest of your day appreciate your time thank you brother bye-bye